Welcome back to the Learn to Grow podcasts. I am delighted to kick off season three of the show, and I am particularly delighted to do so with my guest this week. Joining me is Todd Morin, Chief Learning Strategist at NoboEd. And if you don't know Todd already, he is one of the industry's great thinkers. He's a learning professional that is deeply attuned to what's happening right now in the world of workplace learning and development. And our conversation is filled with insights and practical tools, and also includes an invitation to learn for free with NovoEd. In our conversation, we discuss the emerging role of platforms as work hubs. We talk about what a truly collaborative experience looks like. We emphasize the importance of putting purpose at the center of everything. And Todd outlines what's happening in the learning experience design course that NovoEd are offering for free starting on January 17th a wonderful resource that thousands of people have taken advantage of. I am certainly signed up for this year's version, and I will add a link in the show notes for anybody who might be interested in such a thing. So without further ado, let's kick off the season. Here is Todd Moran. Okay, Todd, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Simon, it's an absolute pleasure, my good fellow. Yeah, thank you. As we get ready for the uh, the holidays here, it's just great to have you on. Uh, we've connected several times in the past few months and always just really value the conversation. So thanks for taking the time. Without question, it was uh, really exciting to see what you put together with uh, the series uh, this past year in, in, in 2021. And I, I hear and expect tremendous things to come in, uh, in, in 2022 as well. So platforms in the last, you know, couple of years, they've become work hubs, right, during a, during a massive wave of digital transformation. You know, some of that was forced, some of it was kind of happening anyway by itself. And that's obviously been a huge opportunity for you guys at NovoEd as a, as a collaborative platform. But do you also see it as kind of a big responsibility? We do. And I, I think everyone you know, across our organization from the you know, customer success side to executive team to, to our professional services entities, you know, um, think of that in the highest regard. If we're asking for people to spend time and take energy and effort uh, to, to leverage these developmental and learning experiences on the platform, that, that better be a, a place of value for them and, uh, in, and not just a, yet another destination or um, another isolated experience that's devoid of connection to others or uh, the connection back to the, the organization and itself and its, its goals. So something that we, we, we hold in sort of high, high regard and I think it factors into so many of our design decisions in, in terms of you know, how we're helping to steward and shepherd a lot of what you all are doing with you know, learning experience design. Don't just make it this isolated course offering for this fixed population. It, it better have some sort of higher order significance to it if you want folks to come to the platform. And you know, I think a, a big hook for us has been, you know, what is that connective tissue for individual to team to organization? So whether that's something around purpose, which was a huge, huge theme for us and many of our clients and connecting to purpose or a much more emerging one that we're putting a lot of focus on both in terms of product and otherwise on, on this idea of performance readiness, right? Don't let me just come knowledge for knowledge sake. You know, I think there's been a lot of folks conflating, uh, you know, terms, you know, over the years that you know, content does not equal learning. Consumption is not mastery and, and skill is not capability. And, and we, we try to talk about that a lot in terms of intentionality of design and, and getting folks ready to perform uh, in the workforce. And if, I think if you put a degree of emphasis on that, um, you're, you're going to sort of do right by uh, the users and the workforce populations that you're asking to come to the platform uh, to, to receive those opportunities for, for development. 
And speaking of users and, and intentionality of design, you know, at, at best, I think learning technology alleviates stress and yeah. brings teams together and helps with some of the things that that isolation may have have caused in the last year or so or two years. Um, but at its worst or at its most problematic, learning technology is another username and login for already <laughs> overwhelmed users, right? Yeah. How do you guys make sure you're on the right end of that spectrum? Yeah, I, th- I think two things really come to mind for us. And a lot of this is you know, helped informed by some of our sort of marquee clients that are helping to sort of drive. So I think first and foremost, this idea of, you know, w- what is in service of myself and my team and my organization? If, if that's not part and parcel of every single choice that you make in terms of those learning experiences and, and the design of the platform, then you're probably missing the mark. Um, this, and, and we've seen that uh, at length. I, I think this idea of this huge trend focus for the past couple of years of personalized learning at scale as being the sort of nirvana and the only focal point. I think there's still great relevance to that, but I, we've missed a huge part of it. And I think the pandemic brought it about this sense of isolation, the sense of separation from others, the sense of not collaborating or communicating or engaging, whether that's for work products or for developmental opportunities or for you know, performing in a more efficient, effective way um, you know, in, in folks' job settings. So trying to put a huge degree of emphasis on that in that intentionality design, I think becomes really, really important to solving. It's not just another place with another login, but there's value and meaning in, in going. And I think that emotional connection and that most comes most often not through copious amounts of content spewed at you, even if tightly recommended by brilliant AI engines. It comes with engaging, engaging with peers, engaging with mentors, engaging with coaches. And, and if you could do that in a way that is not an isolated Slack channel or some distributed sort of Teams environment, but in a place that's coupled with the content that's in support of that development. And it can be a place of return for folks to say, ah, I, w- I want a refresher. I might want to try another practice opportunity. I might want to have another op- option for feedback uh, amongst a broader peer group that is not in an isolated office setting if folks have been in office or um, constrained by, by some other work product. So that's the first one on, on that uh, sense of intentionality. And then I think the second one to make sure that we're on the, you know, the, the right side of that is um, this idea of uh, you know, constantly iterating uh, and making it easy for those that can contribute to back to sort of the corporate memory of the organization. So, yes, we want to empower L&D. Make no mistake about it. Yes, we want to equip, you know, the idea of HR talent to sort of support development of the organization. But this idea of sort of democratization of learning, not by consumption, not by just making it easier to consume content, but by being able to contribute back into. So uh, options for folks to create submissions and work products that are not necessarily tied into a formalized course or program experience, um, I think becomes a real uh, reason for folks to want to contribute into a platform because they know that there's reach for the types of assets that they're generating and they get this opportunity to connect, connect more deeply with their own workforce, which if anything came out of the pandemic, there's this, this in, in not that we're out of it, but this in, in deep importance around creating you know connection to others across, uh, across the organization and not just learning, developing, um, consuming in isolation. So two areas that we're, we're trying to focus on. I know it's an iterative process. As you're saying that, you're reminding me of something I read uh, on your website, actually, about the kind of NovaWed philosophy. And I wrote it down. I want to make sure I get it right. But it was that uh, strategic capabilities, the ones that truly set an organization apart, must be learned together and acquired through experience. 
Uh, and I thought that was interesting because it seems like you're you're saying that learning and culture are intertwined. Massively coupled. What does that mean for you then? To, could you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, sure. And, and maybe some of it starts with sort of this foundation. And I know folks you know, throwing around lots of terms. You know, everyone wants to claim they're a social or a collaborative platform or they're experiential. Uh, and, and, you know, this battle between, you know, I talk about, you know, skill not being a capability. We don't just mean that in a, in a pure marketing sense and nomenclature, but, but the reality of, you know, skill is knowledge of a topic or system capability becomes this mashup of sort of IQ and EQ and practical wisdom, the ability to apply this in a work setting. And that becomes really, really, really important. You know, it's one thing to say, wow, I'm a, a brilliant whiz. I know Excel up and down. Can you produce a PNL that sort of drives the business forward? Because that's a that's a those are very different things. One being a skill, the other being a capability. And I think learning those not in isolation, uh, but learning those through through experience with peers to sort of hone, craft, bring broader you know ex- perspectives in, in terms of you know, the assets that you create and the, your approach to work becomes so so important. And you know, experience is that is that common thread of all of that. And why we put such an emphasis and we've been doing you know, cohort-based, peer-based learning for a long time before many others got in the game. And, and it wasn't just because we thought that was an attractive thing to do and people weren't doing it. It's because people learn, fundamentally learn and develop better in that, in that manner. And so the, the, some of those core constructs about sort of the contextualized nature, the, the sort of safe environment, the iterative components of that, you know, all feeding into this collaborative experience where not to throw more terms around, but we think of this polysynchronous, right? So it's not just blended. It's not taking uh, the best of sort of digital and in-person and putting them together. It's this interaction of learner to content, learner to learner, and then learner to coach or manager or mentor. And doing that in a, in a cohesive fashion, I think, is, is both a massive accelerator of, of supporting these big change efforts, which so many are putting a huge focus on, on the you know, digital change, digital transformation. And then the other part of it is, you know, it, it really drives sort of the results and the impact that folks want out of, out of these developmental and, and learning opportunities. You know, that I think the Facebook learning report, we're talking about things read recently, that's a little bit dated earlier this year, but, you know, talked about the nature of peer-based learning have a 30x increase on engagement, like when you're putting in the peer dynamic to that. So it's not just, it, you know, we're social animals, but it's, it produces better business results. And I think that's an important piece of it. I've heard you mention two, quote unquote, future oriented skills and capabilities. What are the most important future oriented skills and capabilities, do you think? Yeah, it's interesting. And I think in many ways there, there is this sort of um, artificial force dichotomy and, and maybe almost a, um, a false dichotomy of saying, well, you either need sort of the technical or the soft or the technical and the power skills. And I think in some ways the pandemic helped uncover for us in many ways. You think take something like leadership, uh, you know, d- development and you know, wh- how critically important that was even pre-pandemic to help developing the next tier and echelon of leaders across the org. Um, and folks say, well, they, they, you know, they need some of the sort of the, the core constructs around that sort of the basis of communication, the ability to sort of execute financials wildly still important. But what we found, I think, out of the and uh, continuing through the pandemic is that pieces around growth mindset and resiliency and empathetic learning and listening, those those in many ways be, versus sort of like core hard skills become far more important. Adaptability, resilience, like how do you teach those skills, those higher order, higher value um, sort of can't just be gleaned from stepping through SCORM-based content and slide upon slide and interaction with a knowledge check. It, it requires interactivity. It requires opportunities for feedback. It requires 
options for continuous practice and, and development. So I think those become, you know, um, not the technical skills won't, you know, won't, won't be wildly important, but I think we talk about the masses and the, the sort of the nature of the skill sets that will be required by the masses. It's far more sort of bent towards the um, criticality of importance of, you know, what you want to call maybe power, soft, those sort of um, higher order skills that take, I think, a different approach um, than just sort of the consumption of content or uh, re- repetition of, um, of assets. They're hugely important and, and obviously not automatable, which is yes. important too, right? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, Simon, because I, th- I think about, you know, why, you know, w- what's happening. And I, I think this came out of the, uh, in part, the Microsoft uh, Index trend, uh, tr- Trends Work Report um, that sort of got published uh, maybe a month or two ago or two months ago. But this idea that we think about, at least in the States, and I think this percentage is probably applicable uh, in other parts of the world, certainly developing and developed countries, but, you know, 80% of those workforces in a service oriented nature. Those are, those are, so the idea of how do you support sort of skill development for that echelon, not that we're going to walk away from the criticality of skill sets tied to manufacturing and that sort of the creator economy and producing, but so much of this workforce, because so much has been and will continue to be automated. Now, what are you doing in service of skill sets and capabilities to to that, you know, that huge swath of your population? Um, And that coupled with, you know, that ever present nature of, uh, declining half-life of of those skills, right? I think it was IBM and their trends report saying it's, you know, five years, maybe less even for sort of digital skills and, and other skills, the half-life of those. So if that's the case, how do you continue to sort of reinforce those uh, over time? Because the need is there. And it feels like every time you read an article about the percentage of service-oriented uh, jobs, <laughs> that number goes up and the half-life of a skill, that number goes down. Yeah, I'm sure there's right, and I think there's some truism to it. I mean, we, we were sort of both in jest about the concept, but the sort of the absolute reality of that, and I think the other pieces that stood out as we I came we came off of a couple of big events this year, you know, in the learning uh, talent development space around DevLearn and ATD, and this common theme of two things: one, you've got for the first time in the history of you know of, of civilization six generations in the workforce. That's a wild thing. How do you how do you kind of create developmental, experiential, you know, sort of uh, performance readiness opportunities <laughs> for six different generations is, uh, is 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 massively big. And I think the connective tissue around all of that is this, this connection to peer, this connection to others, and making it not just about personalized content uh, at scale. And and that concept of multiple generations, but also um, the idea of the sort of still mass exodus workforce wise that's happening, not just not just sort of certain sectors like aging workforce and utilities, where you've got 40 year old linemen that have been working in a safety dynamic, you know, stringing poles and, you know, lang cable, but but it's happening for all industries. So how do you how do you address the sort of compilation of those multiple workforces and then this huge exit, um, you know, is, is I think a really real challenge coupled with the half-life of skills and, and the nature of the service-oriented industry. So, Change in directions a little bit, but sticking with wild workplace trends, <laughs> you know, the great resignation or the great attrition or whatever you want to call it, you know, you have 3% of the employable workforce voluntarily quitting every month. Right. Four and a half million almost in August alone out of a workforce of 160 million. I mean, these are wild numbers. Just generally, what what do you think of all of this? What's your perspective on this? (laughs) Aside from being just wildly frightened by it. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, we can ra- wrap our heads around it a little bit when we get into floor and some of the reasons why. But just wonder what what you're seeing on your end. It's interesting. I in, uh, see the parallels I saw some other events that I attended this year um, with with a lot of uh, learning and development leaders. One of the things you know. There's nothing really positive that has come out of a pandemic. The one piece that they would say is that, listen, it forced us in ways that we thought about sort of being sort of newly creative about how we approach and edify and develop our workforces. We were forced into this sort of choice now because we didn't have a choice. And and I think that's sort of the key theme that on the workforce population side for the for this first time, this rather um, uh, expansive mirror was held up in front of them saying, you have a choice, a choice as to what you how do you want to spend this time and uh, these sort of moments of your of your of your life? And I think you've had huge swaths of the population going. Maybe I need to revisit the overarching prioritization of the degree of emphasis I put on work. <laughs> and maybe those are not the most important things to me. Yes, I need to earn a living. Yes, I want to better my community. Yes, I want to further you know causes that I care deeply about at a you know at a regional or a country or a, sort of a, a, a global level. But this idea of folks getting empowered to make individual choice, both in their own work habits, whether they would even have work habits. Um, and I, it's interesting. I think we had a taste of it several years ago with this sort of explosion of the gig economy for folks saying, I wonder if I could make this work. If I could just hang my own shingle and go out on my own. I think the problem is that there, there wasn't... Um, uh, there wasn't enough sort of supporting infrastructure around to, to sort of, and there wasn't enough an appetite for other sort of large corporations to make that scale at, at this massive level. But now we'll come along the pandemic and everyone is sort of having this opportunity for choice and saying, maybe I need to revisit that prioritization. Um, and in my, you know, certainly hope is that there's parts of those that come back into the workforce, but it's going to look wildly different, their level of contribution in what manner they work and, you know, what the, the stats that we've been reading, right, that now 70, 80 percent want deep flexibility, you know, in in the nature of their working environments, if they are to come back or or continue forward in the workforce and to not pay attention to that is, you know, technology providers, as folks that are in industry or just caring about our population globally, I think is a, is a big miss, you know. Yeah, it's just fascinating. And and uh, you mentioned, you know, flexibility and autonomy is a big one, right? And and the, the studies say they want that. It's workplace culture. It's opportunities to learn and grow, right? Those are the three big ones. Um, when I look at this, I think about, you know, you mentioned intentionality earlier, right? So it seems individuals have become much more intentional about, as you said, look in the mirror. What do I really want from a job, from a career, from my life, right? (laughs) What kind of work-life balance do I want? How do I want to spend my days? Do I want to commute? Do I want to work nine to five? Why why do we even work nine to five, (laughs) right? And then the flip side of that, as you said, then is organizations have to listen to that, right? And have to say, okay, this is what employees are demanding. Oh. There's enough numbers to make this a massive issue and a massive sticking point. So employers now have to become much more intentional about the culture they create, yeah. about the brand identity and brand persona. And so you have kind of a, an increase in intentionality on both sides that could be long-term productive yeah. and, and healthy, maybe. Um, I don't know. Do you see it that way or...? No, I do. And it's interesting. I, you know, I think of a couple of our clients that sort of, you know, in many ways in the, the pandemic didn't create this. I think they were exemplars before, but in terms of their acceleration. So I take a company like Cenex, largest building materials manufacturer in the world, 45,000 employees worldwide, 50 countries. You know, this idea of them sort of putting um, this concept of purpose at the center of every single thing they're doing in their organization. 
and creating developmental opportunities to say, it's important you figure out your own purpose. What, what does that look like for you as an individual? What does it look like you know, at your team level? What does it look like for your role within uh, Inside Semex? What does it look like beyond that into our broader ecosystem of clients and partners and, and even, you know, even deeply aspirational about your, your role in this world? Yeah. That's a big attracting piece to, to have folks want to you know, come to that organization. And they're and they're backing it up. It's not just a, a fanciful you know slide deck that they produce or sort of a rich video from from executives. Then they're creating opportunities for those development pieces you know throughout. You know, re, recreate an entire um, construct around a brand sort of next generation new vision for uh, for learning and development at scale around their um, you know basically capability academies. You know, we were blessed and lucky to be a part of powering so much of that. But you know, putting a focus on saying you know safety, leadership development, supply chain, these are aspects that everyone might want to develop skill sets in, even if they're not in that current role. So let's open these sort of opportunities up for folks. Let's make them more of an on-demand, but let's also create a peer component to it. And let's have our top-tier leadership, and they call it uh, leaders as teachers, you know, be part and parcel of those experiences in those academies as folks are sort of working through those opportunities. So then it becomes not just a tagline from corporate. They can see it and believe it, and they have access and, 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 keep, and opportunity to sort of develop capabilities, yes, inside their individual role, but perhaps more importantly about sort of the areas they want to aspire to. Because I, I think that was the big takeaway, right? Like you said, it was the sort of in the, in the top three, the willingness of people for the potential of development and developmental opportunities to take a lateral or even a pay cut if they could move to an organization that would provide those and really care deeply about them. Staggering, you know, it's you know, 60, 70 percent, which, which seems anathema to how you think about this, you know, six, seven years ago, you, you're doing what? You're taking a massive pay cut to have developmental opportunities in another area. Um, but it, I think, you know, the idea of that mirror being held up as part of pandemic and forced choice and what does that look like um, in sort of this new work world is, is wildly important for folks to pay attention to. So yes, I do see it that way. Speaking of walking the walk uh, and, and not just doing things for show and, and facilitating learning experiences, you guys at NovaWed are offering a free learning experience design course that starts in, in January, and I am signed up. Brilliant. What should I expect? You you should expect a couple of things. One, to be joined by thousands of, of, of others that care deeply about uh, this space, not just instructional designers or folks who are sort of aspiring to sort of develop in their own, own paths and um, you know, in their own organizations, you know, folks that are coming from all walks of life is, in terms of business leaders, uh, functional functional entities, how can they create opportunities for sort of experience design that is not just sort of legacy development that helps move big strategic initiatives forward? And I think that's been the evolution. I think this will be our 22nd offering of our of this LXD uh, learning experience design uh, course and program. And we've seen a wonderful shift of sort of growing cadre of folk from varying backgrounds, unbelievably diverse sort of roles saying, I, I want a way, I want a framework, I want an approach to sort of help develop and push things forward in my organization. And and they may not have looked traditionally to LMD to do that. Maybe they're in charge of an entire sort of line of business or a functional entity. So you'll, you'll be joined by those. Tons of interactivity. We're sort of bringing the best of the world. I, I'm, I don't know if this is of the best of best, but I, I'm going to make a little bit of a showcase in there as we talk about a couple of big things, creating a blueprint. You know, So let's give you some tangible uh, assets to sort of produce out of this experience, not just have it be about uh, peers and sharing, although that's wildly important, but let's sort of equip you uh, and, and uh, the folks that you're going th- through this uh, with tangible assets around getting a blueprint tied to your organizational readiness, the lens and how you should approach that, the functional readiness and the technical readiness. And three big components 
components that help sort of drive um, your approach. And then a whole lot of uh, design, intentional design, like we were talking about, um, best practices. So whether that's with the tool sets that you've got in-house, if you've got certain platforms, it's it's agnostic of, of having Novo Ed. <laughs> There's huge benefit to be had by, by, by going through this. Um, and you'll meet some just some brilliant folks, uh, alumni that, that care deeply about that have come back and serve as coaches and mentors and facilitators uh, across this uh, multi-week experience. So I, I think you've got some exci- exciting January ahead of you. January 17th, I think, is that uh, officially kicks off. Perfect. Sounds like a full slate. <laughs> uh, we put a fun tagline on it, Simon. It's from, you know, meaningfully from uh, learning LXD from uh, is, is sort of the, the, the broad name of it, but it's from ideas to impact. And I think... You know, a lot of folks, myself included, were you know driving towards this. Don't let this be just another opportunity for learning, but let it be in service of something, in service of some critical impact that you're trying to drive the organization. So, um, huge, huge part of the its own design of the program itself. One of the things I've always appreciated in talking to you, Todd, is just you always seem to be going from abstraction to to something practical, something tangible, no matter what it is, uh, whether it's learning culture, you know, and its relevance to a platform or what that actually looks like in experience. And, and I appreciate that. Uh, it's a, it, it's really important. No, I, I thank you for that. Simon. I know it's, it, it's a tendency I have to go the other direction at times with a consultancy background, right? You want to talk esoterically at this high level and throw out $10 words when you could use a $2 word, but, <laughs> but, but the, the people are, are craving, they're clamoring for the ability of how do I, how do I generate change? How do I execute inside my organization, irrespective of level and where they sit. And so trying to think about really meaningful ways to tangibly equip them, I think is uh, important. It's a, certainly a big ethos of, of who we are at, uh, at Novo. Uh, we joked off air that this is the season of trends. You know, we were end of 21, start of 22. So I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you for some sort of uh, recommendation, whether it's a book or a podcast or something you listen to or learn from this year or anything spring to mind when I say that. Yeah. Do you want, you want the look back or, or sort of the look, look forward? What's, your, what's, uh, what's sort of the, the take on that? I will leave that totally up to you. Okay, brilliant. I'll, uh, let me do a little plug because we, um, one, I just hold these folks in the sort of highest regard and highest esteem. Uh, two, we, we've certainly had an opportunity to partner with them in the past, but um, the good folks over at Red Thread Research, uh, Danny Johnson and Stacia Gar, have uh, put out just one a body of works. So if you're not reading and looking through what they're producing, both from a research level, but also they're, they're fundamentally wonderfully distilled and synthesized uh, blog posts and write-ups, but they just pushed out um, a set of recommended uh, book list um, for a bit of a look back for 2021. And I, I think I've, I, I immediately added, I think, four of the seven that were on there into, into my list uh, because I didn't even have them on my radar. So I thought that was a, a wonderful. So if you haven't, um, take, take a minute to sort of um, jump online and take a look at uh, that most recent posting um, in their recommendation set. Um, and and then looking looking forward, I'm, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm wildly excited to watch future episodes and listen to see see what comes out of uh, Learn to Grow. I think what you've started, and I don't just mean this uh, sort of platitudes, uh, but but genuinely, Simon, that you know, getting this insight and perspective from folks that are living, breathing, exercising, executing either individually or on behalf of uh, large client bases is so wildly important. And if anything, we need to be doing more sharing, more engaging, more more talking with one another. I think that's going to be um, uh, wildly important for uh, for the year to come. So, 
Fantastic. Well, I appreciate that. And and it's only possible because of good people like you are willing to come <laughs> on and chat and be honest about, you know, wrinkles and all and just get, get stuck in and, and talk about what they're seeing in the industry. So that this is huge. And I, I really appreciate you doing it. With, with, without question. It's uh, something, something my, my dad taught me long ago. Listen, listen. And when you think you've got it, listen some more and be candid. Those, those are the two pieces of advice. So I'll, I'll leave you with that. Love it. Fantastic. Well, listen, the holiday season is upon us. I hope you have a wonderful break with your with your family and uh, look forward to catching up again in the new year and to the learning experience design course and all the good things that, that are coming down the line in 2022. Without without question, Simon. Sincerely appreciate that. And uh, hopefully we'll get you to, to join the uh, emerging as well, our, our Lux uh, community, uh, Platoscope of Learning Leaders, that uh, you are absolutely on that list. We'd love to have you part of that as that kicks off here in, in January as well. So uh, appreciate the time and the dialogue as always. Fantastic. Great stuff, Todd. Well, listen, all the best and I'll be in touch. That was Todd Morin. Thanks again to Todd for all of his insights and inspiration. Please do check out that learning experience design course that launches in just over a week or so on January 17th. Still plenty of time to sign up for what should be a fantastic course. Very much excited about that one. With that, season three is underway. Lots more great stuff en route in the coming weeks. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Take care and all the best.